Good evening, folks, and welcome back once again to sunny Roswell, New Mexico, where, you can say it with me now, where all your bases are belong to us. Uh, tonight, I have as our guest the noted ufologist Richard Dolan, and contrary to normal Live from Roswell programs, we're not talking about UFOs tonight, because this week we are, as Americans, approaching the sixth anniversary of the 911 bombings of the World Trade Center. And there's no surprise that many people today especially listeners to the paranormal radio programs, do not believe that the 911 incident was a cut-and-dried terrorist attack, as the media reports or as we were led to believe early on. Many people, as I'm sure people that listen to this program know, believe that it was actually much more of an inside job involving sinister involvement of some sort with our own government or at least elements of it. And that's not a popular view in true blue America, but it is a very prevailing view all over the Internet. Most of you, or I think many of you, are familiar with um, Alex Jones' InfoWars and many other websites, documentaries, the Loose Change documentary, things that have been on the Internet for quite some time, showing uh, a belief that no plane really hit the Pentagon, that the buildings from the World Trade Center were brought down by a controlled demolition, bombs that were planted inside of it before the planes even hit sounds kind of crazy to some folks, but it sounds kind of, uh, or it's a very common belief out there. And Richard Dolan is with us tonight. Many of you know him from his books, or his main book on UFOs and the national security state. But it's very interesting, I think, that we have someone who's a noted ufologist um, playing from our Live from Roswell theme, who also has a good deal of study and some pretty strong personal views on this uh, incident as well, what we call 911. So I thought it appropriate to get a ufologist on to discuss the 911 incident as we approach the sixth anniversary of the 911 2001 incident. We have the Radio Free Dolan family on today. Are you still with us, right there, Rich? I'm right here, guy. Thanks for having me on. Oh, thank you for coming. It's always awesome to have you on. But see, you've had a long day, I think, haven't you, as a family? <laughs> well, I I um, hosted a, a guest hosted a show for my wife Karen uh, a couple of hours ago. Uh, which is her show through the keyhole, and uh, every now and then Karen will will um, let me or ask me to, to do a, a guest spot on her show. So yeah, today I actually interviewed a very interesting person who uh, wrote a, a excellent scholarly work uh, on our ancient history, kind of like a Zechariah Sitchin, but uh, with a different twist. Very interesting, and we did that for two hours. Then I had dinner, and now I'm back. Yeah, but while you were having dinner, Karen guessed it elsewhere, didn't she? Uh, yeah, Karen did a uh, a show yesterday. She was interviewed, I think, on um, the Andrews show. I can't okay. remember. I don't think she didn't, she didn't do any of the radio work today, unless she snuck something in there that I didn't hear about. Oh, between all these interviews and now having to host Karen's show, are you getting <laughs> any work done on your next book lately? Uh, I'm getting some work done, yes. Um Let's see, this last week I got uh, a few more pages done on the book. I'm actually very happy with the progress on my second volume work on UFOs and the national security state. But, look, I have to say I've given up, long given up, any uh, predictions on completion times for this book. All through 2006 I, I said, well, it'll be done at the end of the year, but uh, it wasn't. I mean, I had a lot of things that came up, and they were all legitimate from a personal point of view, but it taught me a lesson, which is, the book will be done when it's done, and that's the end of that. So life will go on. People will continue to do their thing. I will do my best, and when it's ready, it'll be out there. I expect it to be 
probably not less than 700 pages, and it'll it'll deal with the last 30, 35 years of UFO cover-up, basically. Wow, folks are interested in that, or if you're not even familiar with Richard's first book, he is linked from livefromroswell.com. I forgot to even introduce myself. I'm so excited to have Richard on discussing this tonight. But I'm Guy Malone in sunny Roswell, New Mexico. You're listening to a program on the Paranormal Radio Network. My site for this program is livefromroswell.com, and I have a big link posted to Richard Dolan's site, keyholepublishing.com. You can uh, see a little bit about his first book, uh, UFOs and the National Security State. But tonight we're discussing politics, which is one of Richard's uh, favorite uh, topics, actually. Um, that's actually your educational background is in politics, right? Uh, primarily, yeah. I would say um, that's the thing that I've been studying probably my whole life since I was a teenager. Uh, preteens, actually. I was raised in a fairly, with a fairly political dad. So in all the historical study I did in my younger years was mostly political. So, yeah, I've, I've always been interested in that. In fact, I got into the whole UFO cover-up, uh, not really for, by studying science fiction or by even you know being interested particularly in, in aliens, uh, but into the cover-up aspects of it. And I really just wanted to know back then, was there, was there interest in UFOs by important decision-makers in our country? And if so... Uh, why did I never read about it in any academic history book? And that just got me started, but that was in the 1990s. I've always had a political take on the UFO phenomenon, not that I'm not interested in other aspects of it. I'm interested in all of it, really. But the politics are a big part of it. After 9-11, if we're going to segue into that, I started talking publicly about 9-11 early for a ufologist, but late for 9-11 for people. I mean, yeah. I think my first... Uh, public statement on 9-11 was probably in 2004. But I had been on the um, the inside job um, thesis for, I would say, since maybe the beginning of 03, maybe the end of 02. So uh, not as early as, as people like Jim Mars uh, and a lot of the other uh, writers, but it took me a while. I mean, the thing was, back then, in, in, on 9-11, I, like a lot of people, just was so blown away almost psychologically that I wasn't able to conceive that this could be something as major as an inside job. Um, I want to give credit where it's due, though. My wife, Karen, that very day, that evening, said to me that there was something in her uh, inside that made her think that, that the government was involved. And, and I remember saying, no, now come on, that's that's going a little bit over the top. Mm. But it was, um, within a year, I was really diving into uh, the analyses on this. A lot of people would send me emails because I had gotten to known as this UFO conspiracy guy. So I get a lot of emails from all kinds of people about other things going on. And sure enough, a lot of the 9-11 uh, conspiracy believers, the alternate believers, would send me information and... Um, for a while, I would just say, look, look, you may be right, you may not be. I really don't know, but I'm working on some other things here. Uh, but eventually, I dived in. I, I realized, look, I can't let this thing just be this gray cloud wondering, you know, is it true or not? I wanted to dive in and, and find out for myself. And what I found, you know, for anybody who hasn't really taken the time to look at the facts, of what happened on that day, and in the several days before 
and in the several days after, because it's all part of a, a neat little package. If you haven't bothered to do the work to look into this, then as, I was going to say as an American citizen, but as, as a person who believes in truth and freedom, you need to, you owe it to yourself to do some research on this. And don't just read uh, the latest mainstream piece of garbage put out by whether it's Time Magazine or CNN or whomever. You can't go to the corporate sources on this. You've got to go to real analyses. There are lots of them out there. They're easily available through good web searches. The fact is that when you start looking at the details of what happened on that day, really looking at these details, you come up with one odd thing after another odd thing after another odd thing until you have this enormous list of all these real odd things that just happened to happen, that just occurred on this one day, hmm. and and we're supposed to find that credible. And Tell me, that, uh, to interrupt, what happened yeah. before 911? If you well, can get into that in a minute. Sure. Well, one of the things is that there was a, a variety of, uh, of, of insider stock market activity that took place. Very, very odd. They, they were called put options. All right, so there were stock trades that were that are bet on the fall in share values for two airlines whose planes were used in the attack. You have United Airlines and American Airlines, what are called put option purchases. The stock on those rose four and 25 times normal levels in the days before the attack. A couple of people have written about this. I think most notably, jeez, um, I'm trying to remember the uh, one of the 9-11 writers. I'm not a 9-11 expert. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, compared with most people in the streets, I am. Uh, I he was crossing the Rubicon. Who's the guy? Uh, it'll come to me. He's a former LA, LAPD cop who, um, who's written a lot about this, and uh, his name is escaping. I'm embarrassed. I can't remember him offhand. Oh, it's uh, Michael Rupert. Okay. Uh, in crossing the Rubicon, did a very detailed study on the stock market pricing. Then you have a number of government officials and executives who avoided... Uh, flying for that day. You had a bunch of Pentagon officials who canceled their travel plans on September 10th. There was the mayor of San Francisco, Willie Brown, who publicly said he received a warning not to fly on September 10th. He received a warning on September 10th. Uh, some Scotland Yard uh, stopped Sam and Rushdie from flying on September 11th. Um, I myself, I personally spoke to a um, military um, individual who was scheduled to fly out of Syracuse, New York, very close to where I am in Rochester. Uh, he was going to fly to New York on the morning of September 11th and told me personally that he received a phone call at 3.30 a.m. that day from his commanding officer who said, you're not flying. I mean, there's a lot of these stories that are out there. And none of them by themselves constitute proof that there was a conspiracy here. But this is only the beginning. We're only talking about a couple of very odd little facts. Uh, what I have been saying for years is that if you were to take these and, and the many, many facts of the day of September 11th and just look at them objectively, and, and let's say that they had happened in any other country but the United States, especially like a non-friendly country like, say, China, then we would have no problem in this country to look at all of those little facts, and we would say, you know, your official story doesn't really match what we know happened. But because it happened here, and everyone listening remembers this, the media response in the days and weeks and months and years after 9-11 was almost uniformly 
in lockstep with the official line. And it was impossible for any rational person to question what we were officially told. But those, that's just the lead-up to 9-11. That's only some of the anomalies. And look at the hijacking scenario itself. I mean, I don't know how many times people have actually stopped to think about how irrational this attack scenario actually was. <laughs> to execute this attack would have been incomprehensible, okay? Um, and there's, or for example, the attack plan itself. You got attackers flying from remote airports and going far out of their way. Exposing this plan to an almost certain ruin had any air defense systems been operating normally. For example, the attack on New York City comes out of Boston's uh, Logan Airport, okay, the uh, Flight 11 and Flight 175. This gave them nearly an hour, about 40, 45 minutes of exposure to interception for each of those flights. Then you get Flight 77. This one flies to the Midwest for about 45 minutes before turning around to Washington, D.C. This, this flight was airborne for nearly an hour and a half before it hit the Pentagon. And yet, again, we have no air defense. Then you got Flight 93, the one that came down in Pennsylvania. This also flew Midwest before it turned around. Uh, we're told to fly toward Washington, D.C. Now, had it reached its target, it would have been airborne for more than an hour and a half. Think of the odds for those flights of escaping interception with this plan, all right? Any rational air defense, it would have been impossible to have expected any success. And yet you got four flights doing this. Then you got the behavior of these alleged villains, all right? We have FBI reports telling us that these hijackers, these Muslim fundamentalists, devout, you know, are out going to topless bars, strip clubs, and drinking alcohol the night before. Hmm. Is this odd? Well, again, that's not in itself proof that there's something amiss, but it's odd. It's odd. I'm supposed to believe that Mohammed Atta, the alleged mastermind, this guy nearly missed his flight. He was on flight um, 11. He barely caught the flight. Okay? This is the key guy. Then I'm supposed to believe that his passport was found in the r rubble at the wreckage of of uh, New York City. That's be a break, one. man. My father worked at the Trade Center. He was a fire safety director at the World... He was a retired New York City police officer and then a, for seven years, a fire safety director at, at the World Trade Center who happened to have the day off. He lived that day. A very nice man who he shared his job with was killed that day. person that I knew. So, now my dad wasn't in the cleanup, but my dad knew a lot of the people doing cleanup work there. And they had an expression for what they described the horrific rubble and human remains at the, at the center, at the trade center. It was called Raspberry Jam. I don't mean to be so graphic, but that's, ooh, this is, okay? Now, in that rubble, I'm supposed to believe that Mohammed Atta's passport was just found? Think about this. How stupid are we all supposed to be that we're supposed to just buy that? That's like Lee Harvey Oswald's silver, you know, magic bullet being found on the stretcher at, at, uh, in Parkland Hospital in Dallas. And this, this is absurd. Again, had this happened in any other country, any other place, Americans would be critically minded, and they would look at it. But because we, most people, cannot or don't want to conceive that their government could be involved in some kind of misdeed, 
they just dismiss it. But more likely, they actually just are not aware of the evidence. Um, by the way, I mean, none of the, uh, the four flight crews that were hijacked, I mean, none of them radioed air traffic control about hijackings in progress. None of them punched in a four-digit hijacking code, okay? Um, none of the contents of any of the black boxes have been made public. What's going on here? Okay, and then think about the phenomenal success of these hijackers. None of these guys were even good pilots. The one who hit the Pentagon was described by, he was not even qualified to fly a Cessna aircraft, a tiny little puddle jumper, described as an idiot by his flight instructor. This guy with a box cutter disables the two pilots, one of them was a Vietnam vet F-4 pilot. I saw a picture of that pilot, it's a tough-looking dude. This guy takes him out somehow, and that pilot doesn't punch in an emergency code. Then he takes over the plane. Now think about this. They're at 30,000 feet, 45 miles out of D.C. He turns this hijacker, who was, had failed a flight test for a Cessna aircraft, is now flying a Boeing 757 commercial airliner, all right? Turns this sucker around above the clouds. Where's the radar that's guiding him, incidentally? How is he finding his target? 45 minutes out of D.C. Does anyone think about this? He's above the cloud, blue skies. How do you know where you're going to that degree of precision? Okay? He, because he did a couple of flight sim programs on his computer? How am I supposed to believe this? What does that suggest? If, it, if it's ridiculous to believe that this untrained pilot actually pulled that off, does that suggest something like another pilot or suicide bomber or a radio-controlled plane what, or what? It, what I, I've spoken to a number of pilots about this, okay, and okay. what it suggests most plausibly. You really have three scenarios, and let's look at each one of them. Scenario number one is that this is the luckiest, dumbass pilot in the history of flying. Luckiest, I mean, other than the fact that he got killed, right? But the luckiest in terms of his plan. So it's like, like imagine sit, standing at home plate, you're facing... Um, you know, Pedro Martinez in his prime, and you're blindfolded. You don't know when he's pitching, but you take a lucky swing, and boom, you hit a 450 shot over center field. That's how lucky you'd have to be, I guess. Because the maneuver that this pilot made as he approached the Pentagon was a world-class spiral dive maneuver that probably no experienced pilot in the world could have made. This is the consensus of people that I've spoken to, other than through sheer dumb luck. So this, this Muslim hijacker, not only does he make this amazing feat of navigation to get to his target in D.C., and again, we have to ask, who's guiding him in? Dead reckoning? He's just looking? And then makes an incredible maneuver with this aircraft, so good of a maneuver that the air traffic controllers who were tracking him all said, oh, thank God, one of our jet fighters is finally in the area, because that's the kind of maneuver you would have expected a jet fighter to make, not a commercial airliner that's not built for this kind of thing. So explanation number one is that this guy had just sheer dumb luck, and Allah was, was guiding him. That's one. Explanation number two is that he was actually an incredibly skilled pilot. Now, that's, I suppose, possible, except for the fact that there is no evidence that has been released, indicating that that is even remotely true. So if it's true, 
there's some explanation that is required by our government people who've been investigating them. Explanation number three, which I think is the most credible, is that the plane was remotely commandeered. Now, the technology for that is, is certainly no difficulty to envision. It exists. It's entirely possible to do, and that would make the most sense. But if that aircraft was remotely commandeered, very clearly we are not talking about a mere al-Qaeda inside operation. There's no way in hell that they're going to be able to remotely commandeer that aircraft. I don't think anyone can credibly make that case. If it was remotely commandeered, it's obviously through the Pentagon. Who else is going to be able to do that? Would that suggest that there's some type of radio control already built into the planes then before the, the day started? Yes, they would have, right, exactly. There would be there would be a control mechanism in the aircraft. I've talked to military pilots who say that that technology exists. But it's not normal to be on every plane that's just out there flying commercially. I don't know how normal it is, Guy. It's a fair question. Okay, and it's something that, that any one of us listening can look into. I can look into it. Um, how normal it is, I don't know. I know it's, I know the technology is there. So whether it's normal or not isn't even the issue. I mean, what we have to ask ourselves is how is all of this even possible, okay? How credible is it that through sheer luck this pilot is able to make his way? And where are the F-16s? What happened with Andrews Air Force Base, which was just seven miles from the Pentagon? Andrews was right there. They had two fighter squadrons on alert at that time. We're talking nearly 40 minutes, really, after the Trade Center right. had been hit. And these squadrons are still sitting on the ground. When right, we come back, I'm going to ask you, we're going to break. I want to ask you about the possibility of a stand-down order, because that's come up in the virtual auditorium, and I know that's a popular theory out there. Uh, we're, we're just going on a quick break here for Paranormal Radio Network. I'm going to play you a song that is at least interesting to this point of view. Everybody wants to listen to this if you like this point of view. It's uh, from my MySpace featured artist of the week, Erin, uh, the conspiracy chick. It's her default song on MySpace. But we'll be back with Richard Dolan right after this song, probably without a commercial. It's a long song, though. Return back to livefromroswell.com and feel free to email me and Richard to keep this conversation going tonight. Take us out, Joe.
Good evening once again, folks. Welcome back to Live from Roswell. I'm the host, Guy Malone. We have our guest, Richard Dolan, noted ufologist, discussing the inside job conspiracy theory view of 911. We've been discussing this for about 25 minutes to 30 minutes already, and Rich has made a couple of points already that one thing he said is that the passport to the main terrorist uh, leader of the whole plot was found among the rubble of 911, which is a little absurd to anybody who's seen that rubble or knew what a big thing it is. But a couple lines of questions um, I want to throw at you, Richard, and I do invite anybody that's listening to either email me at talktome, T-A-L-K-T-O-M-E, at livefromroswell.com. I do check it during the program. You can pose a question or a comment for Richard, and I'll read it uh, to Richard here on the air. But pretending that everything I ever learned about 911, I learned from CNN, what Richard is discussing with us tonight, and you can just take these as your general lines of questions for us, if you don't mind, Richard, is we're trying to find out what proof do you think exists that anything other than what the mainstream news says happened actually happened. And when you talked about the main leader's passport being found among the rubble, well, that seems to suggest that it was either planted or someone falsely turned it in, which, of course, brings up the question by whom, and of course, the larger question, what motivation, this is the big key question I think a lot of people have on this, what motivation would our own government have for being involved in 911 in a sinister way? Well, yeah, there's obviously these are important questions. When we say our government, we need to be very careful, <laughs> because, and I don't mean to, to um, belittle any, any of the elected governments, whether they're Republican, Democrat, whatever, I don't, that's not the point. But people have to remember that just to call 9-11 an inside job, and I, I think that's an accurate description, but that means that can mean a lot of different things, okay? Sure. It can mean that, I don't know, George Bush and Dick Cheney uh, planned it and that their cronies planned it. It could mean that rogue elements within the Department of Defense or within the intelligence community, whether American or international, were involved in planning it and tr making it happen. Think about that, okay? It could mean that powers behind the scenes made it happen, which would have implied that even had Al Gore been president, 9-11 could have happened, and yes, as an inside job. Is it possible? Sure, it's possible. So when we say the government, all right, the problem that a lot of people have, and let, let's just lay the cards right out, there are a lot of supporters of the president, they're uh, loyal members of the Republican Party, and I know this because I have many who are friends of mine. They're very averse to wanting to, to come to this conclusion because implicitly they feel that it's a criticism of their political party. We all know this is true. So the problem with that theory is, well, first of all, it forces you not to, to look at the actual facts of the day. But the other thing is that it doesn't, I mean, yes, it, it would look bad for the party in power that, you know, this immense thing would be an inside job. but. There are a lot of permutations that are possible here, okay? There are reasons to be suspicious of at least two foreign intelligence agencies, that is the Pakistani ISI, that's like their CIA, and also the Israeli Mossad. There are both reasons to be suspicious. That doesn't mean that we have proof, but there are, there are indicators, as well as there are reasons to look at elements within the United States intelligence community. And now think about another possibility. Let's say that that's, in fact, what happened that elements within them wanted to engineer this, and we can get into the motives in a minute. But let's say you're the president, and you don't even have to be George Bush. Let's say you're just any president, and you discover 
that elements from within your national security community were involved in pulling this off. Would you go public with that? Think about it, okay? Especially after you already announced to the world that it was a, a you know international terrorist plot. Are you then going to say to the world, holy cow, I cannot believe this, but it looks like my own government's been involved. I don't, I'm not so sure. That's heavy. That is very heavy, and that could very well be something along the lines of what we've dealt with here. Okay, so there's a lot of possibilities that are at play here. And, you know, I don't know every single answer, because guess what? I wasn't involved in the planning. So there's only certain things that I can know. And what I can know is that the official explanation is total garbage. And, and that I know, so that there are, there are avenues of investigation, and maybe one day we'll get the answer of 9-11, and maybe one day we won't. Let me give you an example of what I mean by that. All right? I've got articles on my website, and I wrote one article that deals in-depth with 9-11. Go check it out. It's on my site, keyholepublishing.com. Um, called it, um, what I call my article, the death of UFO secrecy and the death of the American Republic. And some of it deals with 9-11. Think about the German Reichstag fire of 1933. Now, this happened, this is almost three-quarters of a century ago, and some people don't even know what the Reichstag fire was. But here's what happened. Adolf Hitler was Chancellor of Germany. He wasn't dictator. He came in, he was like Prime Minister. That's what Chancellor kind of was, leading a coalition. And a month into his uh, chancellorship, in February of 1933, March of 1933, the German parliament, known as the Reichstag, it's like Congress, was set fire to. So imagine if somebody had bombed our Congress. This immense act of terrorism occurred in Germany. Now, historians today have 99% certainty, not 100%, 99% certainty that the Nazis planned it and did it, okay? And they're pretty sure we know who the guys were involved in doing it. The, the Nazis blamed the communists and used that event to pass emergency powers for Hitler, and that's what gave him his dictatorship, okay? So my point here is that to this day, we're, we're pretty much kind of sort of sure that the Nazis planned it and did it, but there's actually not certainty. And the reason is that they, they did a very good job in covering their tracks. All right? So now you go fast forward to 9-11. All right? They, there's been 75 years of lessons that intelligence people have been able to learn about how to manipulate media, about how to manipulate uh, academia, yes, how to manipulate all kinds of spin and to get what they want, and how to get... Think of the U.S. government as like this octopus with not eight tentacles, but thousands and thousands of tentacles. And let's say that you are able to get control over a couple of the really key tentacles to pull this off, all right? And that's really all that you need to do. You need to shut NORAD down so that the standard operating procedures are not in place. So you got people working on that part. you got people working on other key parts. All right? So then you make it happen. So if you're the president, you know, the whole thing may be that he knew in advance, and it may be that he didn't know in advance. Quite possible he didn't. It's also possible that someone, close advisors, immediately afterwards say, look, Mr. President, we don't know the exact details of what happened, but this has got to be an Islamic terrorist attack, and that has got to be the way we're going to do this. Case closed. How difficult is it for us to imagine that? So 
So yes, that could have been the case. And whatever he may have learned after the fact, I mean, it could have been that he that he agreed with, you know, creating this diversion and this this uh, you know faux attack, this fake attack. Or it could be he didn't agree with it, but was forced to comply because otherwise he'd be a dead man. That's not hard to imagine. So for sure. <laughs> okay. So anyway, that. So when we say our government, you know, people have to to recognize that that, that can mean a lot of different things, and we have to leave the perception that we learned when we were ten years old in our government class of how the government works, because that is not how it works. And the longer we stay with these illusions, the more and more difficult it's going to be for us to come to terms with what happened. Now let's get into motive. Why? Why would this happen? Well, let's go back to the historical example I gave you before about the Nazis. Why would the Nazis do a Reichstag fire? I mean, goodness gracious, why would they do such a thing? Well, the answer is to take total power. How difficult is it to, to understand that? What we've had since 9-11 is a national security revolution. Anyone can see that. All right, we talk about our Constitution, but you and I and anyone listening, in effect, really has lost their Fourth Amendment right to privacy. Why? Because the government is legally allowed to read your email. They are legally allowed to break into your house when you don't know and go through your stuff without a court order. Okay? So if they're allowed to do that, then you know what? You have no privacy. And the fact that you may have privacy was only because of the fact that they may not be interested in looking into your life right now, so you just duck your head low and go through your life pretending that you don't notice anything. Okay? Those kinds of people don't get observed because they're of no interest. It's only the people who speak up, and they get noticed, and their emails are read. So we've lost our Fourth Amendment right to privacy, and that could never have happened without 9-11. But you may ask, well, why? Why would the government, or whoever these evil people are, want to do that? Well, 9-11 is the great enabler of our age. With 9-11, a lot of things became possible. All right, one was the Patriot, the so-called Patriot Act. This is the act by which um, the government began the process of stripping our rights away from us, formally. The other thing that became possible was bogus war number one in Afghanistan and bogus war number two in Iraq. And I don't mince my words by calling them bogus wars. They have no justification. Iraq. What was the justification for the war in Iraq? Weapons of mass destruction. Well, no one would have bought that, first of all, as an invasion pretext, had there not been 9-11. And now we find out that it was a fiction anyway. I mean, and they knew it was a fiction. We're not talking about faulty intelligence. We're talking about falsified intelligence. And the day will come, hopefully not long after we're dead, the day will come when this is recognized. So, in other words, 9-11 allowed this. And, and when we talk about these wars, we have to remind ourselves that as ruinous as these wars are to the treasury and economy of the United States, and they are, make no mistake, they are destroying the American economy, that they are at the same time immensely profitable to certain groups and contractors who are making a king's ransom off the prosecution of these wars. Okay? And these are groups that are very close to the president. We all know them. They're called Halliburton, they're called Bechtel, they're called the Carlyle Group. We can go on. They have benefited tremendously from these wars. So, you know, 9-11 allowed 
all of that to happen. And then there's a longer view here we can take. This is something that I have been suggesting for a while. That is that we have gone through a 50, 60 year process of evolution in which our official legal system has become increasingly out of whack with the true development of power in our society. So by that I mean, you know, we've moved into a transnational, multinational, corporate-dominated world in which sovereignty, you know, good old-fashioned sovereignty of each individual nation is becoming obsolete. And we can all see this happening. And yet, if you you know, are running this structure, let's say you're at the top of this corporate structure and you're looking at all these different countries and their, their archaic, outmoded legal structures and you want to revamp it and reform it, you need legal revolutions to do that. First and foremost, within the United States, which was the economic and political leader of this world, you need to create a legal revolution in the U.S. And, and to do that, there must be a catastrophic catalyzing event or else it ain't going to happen. Hence 9-11. So that's a motive. If you want to create a global corporate-dominated police state where people are microchipped and tracked and monitored 24-7, don't think that's not what is desired by some of these groups. Then you need an event, as was uh, labeled uh, in a very... Uh, important document by the Committee for the 20, 21st Century that uh, Republican Party's ideology statement put up by Dick Cheney and his buddies, you need a new Pearl Harbor. <laughs> Project for the American Century, that's what it's called. Sorry, my mind escaped me there. A new Pearl Harbor, like 9-11, can justify these things. So I think that goes some of the way toward talking about motive. And then there's means. Well, you know, before we even get into means, though, I mean, there's still a lot of these details. The, the failure of NORAD, to me, is, is so utterly crucial. Without NORAD, you know, if NORAD had done its job even a little bit, the entire 9-11 attacks would have failed, every one of them. That's one thing I really wanted to ask you about, because I feel you've studied this is that it seems obvious to a lot of people that there are safeguards in place to prevent uh, an airplane being exactly. hijacked, especially with an hour away from any target Precisely. to ever reach it. Either they shoot them down, they intercept them or something. So the suggestion is often made that coming from somewhere, Cheney or God knows where, there was a stand-down order. Right, well, Pretty. I think they're... Right, Rupert in uh, Crossing the Rubicon argues that Cheney, uh, there is a, an aide of Cheney's, in fact, all throughout that morning, who repeatedly, you know, this is when the, the plane, Flight 77, was on its way to Washington, um, and this aide, supposedly, this is in Rupert, Rupert's book, said, uh, would keep barging into Cheney's office and saying, sir, um, you know, it's getting closer, and, and Cheney's answer was, the orders are the same, you know, the orders are the same. The implication is that Cheney was telling this very nervous aide, who was obviously ignorant of what was going on, that nothing was going to change. And that would be certainly indicative of a stand-down. But here's what we know for sure. The failure of NORAD 
okay, occurred on many, many levels. We're not talking about one or two failures. Here, here's some of them. You have failures to report hijackings, okay? So this is all based on official timeline. The FAA response times for reporting these um, deviating aircraft were many times longer than prescribed times. That's the first. Then you have failures to scramble. Okay, so I talked about failure to report, now failure to scramble, because NORAD, once they were notified of off-course off uh, aircraft, failed to scramble jets from the nearest bases. And all this, by the way, took many days for us to figure it out because we didn't get straight answers from the DOD. Mm -hmm. Then you have failures to intercept, because think about it. Once these interceptors were airborne, they flew at speeds that were small fractions of their top speed so that they failed to intercept. In other words, even though, even though the airs were scrambled from distant bases rather than close bases, they still should have been able to catch these commercial airliners had they flown at normal intercept speeds. Okay. There was also a number of fighters that were already airborne and were, were, and were within interception range but were not redeployed to pursuing them. So in other words, had there not been multiple failures of each type, okay, these attacks could not have succeeded. All right? NORAD okay. had time to protect the Trade Center, even given the unbelievably late time when uh, the claims of the hijacking were first notified. It was at like 8.40. It was you know, nearly a half hour into the hijacking. I mean, God. So, so what we know is that NORAD didn't just drop the ball. They dropped the ball and then dropped it again and then dropped it again and then dropped it again. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we still have never gotten a good explanation for this. Well, I think to a lot of people that either suggests a stand-down order or an unimaginably gross ineptitude of NORAD. Yeah, but except that it's only gross ineptitude that occurred that one day only, because the standard procedures that were had been in place, they weren't just these theoretical procedures. They've been acted on many, many, many times in the last, you know, every year. Um, in the 12 months prior to 9-11, the standard intercept procedures uh, were acted over 50 times, so once a week. It was like no big deal. And the average... I mean, there are, other, there are other hijackings or examples? Where well, they weren't hijackings, no. But there are instances, like if you're flying from Boston to L.A. and your plane goes five degrees, of course, let's just say, okay, within minutes, the FAA is notified by NORAD and they're, they're radioing you. And they're saying, hey, is everything okay? And if you, pilot, do not give a satisfactory answer, jets will be scrambled. And oh. the average intercept time was about 20 minutes. Now, um, I mean, we think about the dense volume of air traffic that goes every single day across the United States, 50, you know, once a week may not seem like a big deal. The year prior to that, and so that in 1999, that number was over 100 times. It was actually about twice a week. But in other words, it was a typical procedure, and that didn't mean that the F-15s would shoot you down. There's very defined procedures for interception. Okay, and the fighter would approach and radio you. Okay, and and normally that would just resolve the whole issue. It would also uh, flap its its wings. Uh, it would rock the plane in a certain way, which is indicative of a, an interception. 
all these things take place. It doesn't mean they're going to shoot you down out of the sky. But the fact is that those procedures had been followed, and they were ordinarily followed. There's the, the famous case of a, of a small uh, aircraft carrying the uh, golfer uh, Payne Stewart. This happened a year or two before 9-11. Payne Stewart was a, a relatively famous golfer who was in an aircraft, and a problem occurred on the aircraft, smoke inhalation. Everyone on the aircraft died. And this small plane is just flying. It starts to go off course. And his plane was intercepted within about 15 minutes, you know, the standard amount of time. And um, the interceptors simply accompanied the plane until it went down. They made sure that it did not go down over a, a densely populated area. But my point is that this was a standard procedure. So the failure of NORAD only occurred during the, really, an hour and a half period on the morning of September 11, 2001. It, it did not occur before, and it did not occur after. It just occurred at that moment. That's bizarre. And, and had this happened in any other place, okay, as I keep saying, we would be asking these questions in a public way, not simply on fringe radio. Yeah. Uh, I mean, let's face it, all right? We're not on CNN because, because we can't get on CNN because they're not going to listen to this. All right? They're part of the problem. And people need to understand who owns your media. I'll tell you right now, all right, more than 50% of anything that you are ready to read, hear, or listen to in the course of your day is owned by one of five corporations in the world. Mm. And when you Fringe, add in the Hey, Richard, I'm sorry. Fringe Radio will be back after this. <laughs> we've got one break, and then as soon as you're back, we're going to go commercial-free the next hour. Cool. And we've got a couple questions having to do with the Pentagon, whether it was an airliner or a missile, if you've ever thought about that, the parking lot camera pictures and things like that. Okay. So Joe is going to take us out for a commercial break. And we'll be back with live from Roswell.com and Richard Dolan discussing 911 after this break.
Thanks for coming back, folks, to Live from Roswell. I'm your host, Guy Malone, with Richard Dolan. We're discussing the 911 World Trade Center incident. And Richard Dolan is a UFO author who has, who shares a conspiratorial inside job view on uh, the World Trade Center bombing. I do want to mention that if you go to livefromroswell.com, I do have a few resources up there that do uh, will point you to this point of view if you've never heard of it before. Richard has already recommended the book Crossing the Rubicon by Michael C. Rupert. That book is linked from livefromroswell.com, as well as Jim Mars's Inside Job and The New Pearl Harbor by David Ray Griffin. Uh, the New Pearl Harbor theory is that it, was, it took Pearl Harbor to get America into World War II. It took a disaster, and Rich has already suggested from the German fires that were probably set by Nazis to raise Hitler into power um, that America or certain sinister forces larger than our government wanted a big event to bring about a police state, more or less, where a corporate government, a corporate-controlled government, could uh, have a pretext for war and invasion of privacy. There's a few questions that do come up. I also want to mention uh, people that know the name Alex Jones, who's big in this 911 conspiracy theory. Don't know if you saw the news today. He was in New York City filming a documentary on the uh, sixth anniversary, and he got taken to jail yesterday. So there's, I do have a link up about Alex Jones was arrested in New York City. He's already been released, but he does have some commentary and video on that that I've got linked from live from Roswell. And I also have a link up to the Loose Change video. It's a video that has received over 6 million hits or views on Google Video. And uh, I'll ask Rich if he can comment on this in a little bit, but it uh, has a lot to do with the controlled demolition view of these buildings falling that a lot of people suggest that not only could planes and that much jet fuel bring down buildings, but it was just a controlled, imploded building. I'll ask Richard if he's got anything on that. So we've got some links. If you've never been exposed to this point of view, there are interesting things you may want to check out because they do bring up some questions. Like a lot of people, uh, as a true blue American, I don't want to believe it was an inside job. Richard doesn't want to believe it. But thanks to the freedom of paranormal and lunatic fringe radio, at least we have a format where those questions can be asked and addressed. Last programming note before I ask Richard questions sent in by a viewer was that LiveFromRoswell.com is sponsored by AlienResistance.org, which brings you biblical perspectives on UFOs and abductions, as well as some DVDs from past conferences related to the UFO topic that were all recorded here in sunny Roswell, New Mexico. You can check all that out at www.AlienResistance.org. Welcoming back, Rich Dolan. I do have a question sent from a viewer, DeAndrew, or a listener, I guess. <laughs> Um, do you think that the damage done to the Pentagon was actually due to an airliner crashing into the outer wall? And also, what do you think of the parking lot camera pictures of the impact on the Pentagon? And the question sort of centers around the fact, I think, that, well, there's really no airline debris that ever showed up in those pictures. And a lot of people suggested it was a missile or something other than a radio-controlled airplane that you were saying earlier. Yeah, um... In the article that I wrote uh, a couple of years ago, I, I held very strongly to the likelihood that we were seemed to be that we were talking about a missile, not not an airliner. Uh, which of course raised the question: Well, what happened to the actual airliner? And yeah. uh, my, my answer at that time was: Well, I don't know. I mean, a lot of things could have happened. People could have been taken somewhere and just executed for them. Because there there were questions, there were legitimate questions to ask. I mean, I looked at at the, uh, the pictures, like everyone else's, I've got all the high-res images that I know of. Um, 
and you really don't see debris of any significant kind. Um, and when you look at the, uh, you know, people have looked at the hole and tried to estimate the size of the hole in the Pentagon and have argued that it doesn't seem like it's more, much more than 20, 20 feet diameter at the most, so where do you put the wings? Um, that's how I felt for a while. I actually don't think that I subscribe to that theory any longer. Uh, before I tell, say why, though, I don't, I don't really think it's that critical a theory. I mean, one way or the other. I mean, either way you look at it, there are serious, grave problems of explanation for the official group in power. I mean, a missile, obviously, it's, that's a real problem of explanation. But, but a 757 airliner hitting the Pentagon in the way that this one obviously did, or if it's a 757, that's a serious problem of explanation. Uh, the reason that I don't think that I subscribe to the missile theory is that uh, I've become aware that there are studies, there are crash studies that have suggested that even at in excess of 300 miles per hour, at a jetliner hitting something like the Pentagon's very, very, very heavy uh, masonry facade would have reduced the whole aircraft to basically to confetti. Um, so that, in other words, the wings... Now, and when you look at some photographs, there are images of lots and lots of tiny little debris on the ground um, that was picked up, scarfed up immediately by guys in black suits with sunglasses. Uh, so they were obviously removing the crime, you know, evidence from the crime scene. Um, and there's also the fact that we are certain that there were video cameras that um, captured this event that have never been released. I mean, Dee's question mentions the, um, the five-frame kind of like webcam image that the Pentagon released uh, months later, uh, a webcam really showing um, not much of anything, five frames. But there was a, a gas station that showed, um, that, uh, excuse me, there was a gas station next to the Pentagon that had a camcorder that apparently captured this whole event, and that was confiscated almost immediately by um, government people saying that they were FBI. That's never been released. There was a Sheraton Hotel in that area that also had a rooftop camera that also captured this event, and that was confiscated. There's also um, state of Virginia highway uh, cameras that monitor the traffic that should have captured this uh, aircraft just based on its flight path. Those have never been released. So there's a lot of missing evidence, and the theory is that maybe they're not being released because they would show something that's not in conformance with, with the official theory. It's quite possible. Um, I don't really focus on the airliner versus missile theory any longer. I, I don't see it as important. There's too much debate over it. There's a lot of 9-11 inside theorists who believe it was a missile. There's a lot of 9-11 inside theorists who believe it was the airliner. And I just don't really want to get involved in that argument, to be okay. honest with you. Well, why do you think the, uh, the videos you mentioned have never been released to the public? Um, because I believe that they, they, might show, they might show problems. I mean, it's possible that they show something that's not an aircraft. Um, it's possible that they show other kinds of information that that would be problematic if, if it were be allowed if it were allowed to analyze it. I mean, I really don't know. All I know is that that these videos have not been made public, and then we can speculate on why. It's, obviously, it doesn't look good for, for the secret keepers that they're not letting it out. 
But actually, they've gotten away with it just fine because um, where's the mainstream media? No one's, no one's really making an issue of it except a few of us people here. So in other words, I guess I'm going to beg off making a decision on whether I think it was an airliner or a missile. Um, my own public writings in the past lean toward missile. Now I don't really know. But again, I don't really think it's a, a critical issue. So I'm not going to bother with it. I mean, there's way too many other uh, issues that are way more, um, you know, problematic. I think you were mentioning the collapse of the buildings in New York City. Right. Talk about that. All right. Now, most of the general public is aware of the two main towers collapsing, and probably most listeners to this show are aware that there were actually three major total collapses, implosion-type collapses, uh, the trade center structures, because the, the third one was of Building 7, which was a 47-story tall structure. It was a huge building, I mean, in its own right. Uh, that building was hit by no aircraft. It was hit by no debris that anyone can identify as anything significant. And the thing about it is that prior to 9-11, and also after 9-11, would you care? You probably know the answer because I'm leading here. But would you care to guess how many steel frame structures had ever had a total collapse due to a fire? Care to take a guess, guy? About nine million. The answer is zero. Zero. Okay. <laughs> the answer is there had never ever been a steel frame structure that had a total collapse due to a fire or an earthquake. In fact, uh, the Kobe Japan earthquake of the 1990s was a massive earthquake in Japan caused many collapses of buildings, but not total collapses, not a total vertical collapse in which a building comes down directly on its footprint, okay? That never happened. Yeah, it seems like it takes, like, years of experience in paying demolitions experts lots of money to make a building fall without wrecking the neighborhood around it. Absolutely. It's a detailed science. It takes a lot of planning and foresight. And and, and Building 7, I mean, the video of Building 7 imploding, is, it's available anywhere you want to go. Go to YouTube and just look it up, okay? The top of the building comes down first. It sort of does a mini little collapse. It dips in the center, and then the whole rest of the building falls. And the speed of its fall, incidentally, has been uh, subjected to analysis, and that building fell at virtually free fall speed. So that, in other words, if you were to drop a brick, oh. all right, drop a brick at the top, at the same time that roof starts coming down, the top of the building and the brick are going to hit the ground at nearly the same instant. Okay, that is absolutely indicative of a controlled demolition. Uh, now, I mentioned that, you know, there had never been the case of a fire causing the total collapse of a steel frame structure. Conversely, 100% of the time that a steel frame structure had had a total collapse, it was due to a controlled demolition every single time. All right, before and after. So pretend you're a crime scene investigator and you travel in New York City and you're looking at the wreckage at the Trade Center and, you know, the two main towers and Building 7. And you ask yourself, now, what caused these to collapse? Would not your first question, your first line of inquiry be, were these buildings brought down? Since every time it had ever happened before, it was a controlled demolition every single time. Would you at least not look at that to rule it out? Right. All right, now, in the case of the two main towers, 
we all know the argument that's been made is that the the explosion of the jetliners caused the stripping of asbestos off the I beams, which caused just enough weakening of the I beams that they started to collapse in what was known as like a pancaking effect. That's what it was called in the official PBS documentary. By the way, none of that was peer-reviewed work. Let me point out, none of it. The whole theory about why those buildings collapsed was not peer-reviewed. But it was tossed out there and it's accepted. But anyway, wouldn't you look at the first most common cause of collapse? Yes, I think to be a responsible investigator you would. And of course, this was exactly that what was not done. You know, in the case of Building 7, this is especially problematic because what if you're an architect or an engineer, all right, and this building comes down because of a fire? Mm. Now, I have one picture of the fire of Building 7, and, I mean, granted, I wouldn't want to be the guy to go in and put it out, but we're not talking towering inferno. There's been worse fires. There have been fires that have gutted, that have raged for hours and hours, gutting entire steel frame structures, leaving the skeleton, and still no collapse. And this one comes down in a series of pulverized rubble and shattered steel on its footprint, exactly indicative of, of a controlled demolition. And yet, when FEMA did a study, why did Building 7 come down? Because again, as an engineer and an architect, this collapse would threaten to redefine and almost revolutionize everything you thought you knew about steel frame architecture. So FEMA does a study, and their answer is, we don't know why Building 7 collapsed. And I'm not kidding you. That was their conclusion, because they wouldn't ask the one obvious question. The one obvious question being, was it brought down? Because to ask that question has obvious political ramifications that no one wants to go there. No one who's in power wants to go there. So, what was in Building 7 that would provide a motivation for even bringing it down? Well, uh, it's been argued. Building 7 was a kind of uh, command center of the World Trade Center complex. It had a, It was a multi-million dollar emergency center um, which actually wasn't used for its supposed purpose. Uh, Mayor uh, Rudy Giuliani evacuated his team to make a makeshift command, uh, command center as soon as the attack started, but it wasn't at this emergency command center which was destroyed along with the rest of the building. Even though it was constructed as a supposedly bomb hardened shelter, um, the, uh, the remains of that building, incidentally, were removed almost immediately. The steel was recycled. There was no on-site uh, inspection. It was a very limited off-site examination. So there was, in other words, no forensic analysis that was done at, uh, at Building 7. And it collapsed, I mean, in a n nearly perfectly vertical freefall speed. And, and considering all the other buildings around, I mean, the, the damage to the surrounding structures was minimal. Some of these buildings were 50, 60 feet away. That's it. And they didn't suffer any damage. Think about it. Just, just another coincidence. Just chalk it up. God almighty. When we start adding up problem number one, and then problem number two, and then problem number three, I mean, then it becomes obvious that, I don't want to insult anyone with intelligence, but you'd have to be an idiot not to start to put these facts together and realize that something desperately wrong has occurred and that there's something desperately wrong with the explanation that the official government has given 9-11. And if they're going to be that wrong, 
for that long a period of time, then any rational being is going to assume that these people are being willfully wrong, that they're intentionally wrong. And if they're intentionally wrong, that means they're complicit mm. in some way. You mentioned the book Crossing the Rubicon already. Yeah. What other resources, or, or what did you read that led you to this line of... Uh, oh, good question. Yeah, it wasn't Rupert, Rupert's book at first. It was actually David Ray Griffin, the, uh, uh, the new oh, Pearl, the new Harbor, Pearl Harbor. Harbor. Yeah, that's, in my opinion, that is the single best introduction that any reasonable skeptic should, should read to start. Because Griffin, I really like his approach. Uh, he's, a, he's an academician. He's, he's a theologian. He's written like 10, 15 published books in his field. And uh, kind of like me, kind of like a lot of people, at first was really just not thinking that 9-11 could be what it is. But he had friends who pointed him in this direction, and he said, well, I'm going to look into it. And then he wrote this book, um, The New Pearl Harbor, in which he didn't really answer questions so much as raise the right questions and to point out that the official explanations were, were really problematic. When I read Griffin's book, uh, it was a brand-new book at the time, it really turned my head, I have to say. And, and um, one of the reasons that my own, my own uh, book, uh, Volume 2 of UFOs and National Security State, is, is so far behind my original <laughs> schedule is that I took almost an entire year to really focus on 9-11. Uh, I'm done with 9-11. Truthfully, I haven't really done a lot of new research on 9-11 in several years. I'm trying to get my own UFO stuff done again. Uh, but I don't really feel like... It's necessary. I feel I know what happened. I've got the data. There may be details here and there that are lacking in, in what I know, but at this point I know enough. I know enough to say that this was an inside operation. It is America's Reichstag fire. And Americans who, who hear this, sometimes they don't want to believe it. They said, well, you're, not, you're talking about Hitler. You're talking about Germany. That's totally different. It can't happen here, to which I say, well, it can and it did. You know, we're, we're six and a half, seven, we're six years into it now. And we're in it. And it's happened. And we are losing our freedoms. And who knows where this is going to lead to us. The only thing that I, I can say confidently is that it's not going to stand permanently. But how long it's going to stand is the question. And that's up to us. That's up to regular people to speak out and to be troublemakers. You're not going to win this battle by just ducking your head and running for cover and hoping that no one notices you. Right? Uh, I've got a, a good set of questions that's come in over the over Internet. And if you have a question or a comment for Rich you'd like him to address, you can email me at talk to me at livefromroswell.com. I do check it during this program. And the book you mentioned, in, or The New Pearl Harbor, that is currently linked from livefromroswell.com. And I keep all these links in the archive, too. As Rich said, that may be your best introduction if you're a skeptic. I do have an Amazon link up to the book, The New Pearl Harbor. And if you uh, go on probably Google or YouTube and just look for the author's name, David Ray Griffin, I know years ago, a couple years anyway, I saw a lecture he did at the University of Wisconsin-Madison on this topic as well. It may still be available for free viewing if people just want to check it out. And uh, But we have a couple questions that have come in that uh, are asking you to, Guy or Rich, 
how do you reconcile the inside job theory with the following? And just let me know if I need to repeat these. Number one, Flight 93. Whereas actual passengers called their family with similar stories of how the planes were hijacked without any prior knowledge of other planes. Two, there are factions and governments that hate this country. Are we to assume this hatred is just conjecture made up by the U.S. government? And number three, the first World Trade Center bombing, like over 10 years ago, the first World Trade Center bombing. Do you think this was an inside job as well? Okay. Um, Flight 93, let me, let me do one at a time. Okay. Um, I'm going to raise one issue that the, uh, the person writing the question didn't mention but might be interested in. Um, and that's the evidence that Flight 93 was, did not crash but was shot down. Uh, the debris of Flight 93 was rather far flung. Uh, I have a copy, I'm, in fact, I'm looking right now to hunt down a map that I saved on the, on the crash of Flight 93. The, I know this, that the, the crash and the engine and debris were more than, were, were several miles apart. Okay. Now, when aircraft come down, you know, even at a speed of a couple hundred miles per hour, they don't, they don't fly, the, the pieces don't fly miles away, okay? That's only, that only happens when something happens when it's in the air, and then the debris can then uh, spread over a, a wider field. So that's, there's evidence, I think, that that aircraft was, was struck in the air. As far as the um, the cell phone calls, now I I would like a better explanation as to how these cell phone calls actually were made. All right, you know if you try to make a cell phone call when you're at ten thousand or fifteen thousand feet, um, you're not supposed to do it. <laughs> okay, you're not oh, supposed yeah. to turn your cell phone. Especially off. since nine one one. Especially since that, <laughs> but. Is you that know, higher than a tower? If, if you try to, you're not going to get a signal. I mean, think about getting your signal, especially in uh, with the uh, you know with the system in place, the, the cell phones that we had available in 2001. Not, I don't know what happened with these alleged phone calls. I do know that I've listened to the transcripts or read the transcripts of, of some of them. I mean, in one case, the guy calls his mother and introduces himself by his first and last name. I mean, who talks to their mother like this? Hey, Mom, it's Guy Malone. How are you today? Right. I mean, no one does that, and yet that's the transcript of one of these. <laughs> and, and here's something else. Let, let me just put this out to you, okay? I don't know that this is what happened, but just imagine that you're at home, and someone very close to you is on an, one of the hijacked aircraft. And, and there's an operator, however, who's in, in on this job. Okay, now... Admittedly, this is speculation. But let's say they have been listening, or they, you know, they put a woman in there who sounds kind of like a woman, maybe the right age of the woman that you might know, and she's whispering into the phone, and she's saying, "Guy, we've been hijacked. Um, there's these people here. Oh my God, I have to go." All right. How likely are you really going to be able to distinguish who this person is? Yeah. All right. So what I'm saying is that certain forms of evidence have to hold precedent over certain other forms of evidence. The evidence about the cell phone calls is something that I am given, and I have to take that on trust 
from the authorities that these events took place. Okay? What I know took place is the nature of certain of the failings that occurred that day in terms of air defense. All right, so everything has to be weighed in its proper proportion. All right, there still may be truths about those cell phone calls that I don't know. But I also know that there are some other serious problems with Flight 93 that, that are very problematic. So now what were the two other aspects of that? There was, uh, I can't remember all the other. Can you refresh my memory? <laughs> the, the other parts of the question, Guy. Um, I'm not sure if I understand the wording of this question. I think he's uh, contradicting the entire oh, oh, job. Oh, no, there's, there's a, well, no, I think I remember that there are groups who want to do harm to the United States. Right. Are we and to assume that this hatred is just conjecture made up by the U.S. government? No, no, well, look, come on. Whoever is writing this in, this is silly, all right? There are always groups who want to do bad things to us. That's not the point. If you want an assassination to take place, um, do you have to do it yourself, or do you just let your guard down long enough so that it, that it is enabled? All right? Uh, there are a lot of permutations here, and it's not like there are no such things as, as Muslim fanatics who want to do harm to the United States. Okay, everyone knows that that's always a possibility. The question is, how were they, if it was them, how were they allowed to do this? Or, more really, realistically, in my view, how were they allowed to participate and to be used in this way. Although, let's also point out a few things. All right? Immediately after 9-11, we are told by the FBI of who these hijackers were when six of those guys were actually alive in other parts of the world at that time. The FBI just said, oh, yeah, we know who all these hijackers are. How is it possible that they pieced this together so rapidly? Okay? How is it possible that they find Atta's passport in the rubble of New York's New York City. All right. You know, there was one of these alleged hijackers was some doctor in Tunisia. I remember this. And like a, a couple of days later, he's like, no, please don't shoot me. I'm over here. I had nothing to do with it. How did he end up on this list? Him and five other people. All right. What is, what is it that caused the FBI immediately to say, we've got the whole thing figured out? No one was expecting an air attack, supposedly, uh, on America's uh, structures. By the way, an odd thing about all of those hijacked flights is that all of them were usually uh, empty of passengers. Uh, one of the planes was, I think, less than 50% full. And the other ones were, even, I mean, all of them actually were, were very under-seated. And it's just one thing to one. And, and then when you think about the number of deaths that actually took place, I think everyone's amazed that the death total was as low as it was. New York City when I uh, finally was able to talk to my father on September 11th, I mean, phones were out all day in New York City. Mm. And I didn't know if he had a day off. I thought my dad could be Oh, dead. boy. You, you spent the day worrying about that? Yes, I did. Yeah, I had no idea. Oh, uh, God bless. Until uh, phone calls came from other family members many hours later telling me that my dad was, was not there. But when I finally talked to my dad that night, oh, God, I'll never forget this conversation. He was just so devastated. It was rough, but he, he and I both agreed that the death total had to be in excess of 10,000 and, and very possibly 20,000 people. And the reason is that I had had seven years of conversations with my father 
about fire safety and evacuation problems associated with the World Trade Center complex. Just so happens because of his job. And he, he would talk to me all the time about the structure of the World Trade Center. He happened to know it inside and out. Um, but the reason that the death total wasn't as high, it would have been astronomical had the attacks occurred half hour later. Why? Because the observation deck uh, would have been open. The observation deck did not open until 9 a.m. The first plane struck about 15 minutes before that. And as a result, the observation decks were never opened. Those things are jammed, packed. They used to be packed beyond capacity, actually beyond uh, legal limits. You have thousands of people up there. I mean, the joint would have been jumping at 9.30 a.m. had the attacks occurred a little later. But they had occurred early enough that the death total was only, and I say only, of course, I mean, it's all relative, about 3,000 people. Still horrible, but it could have been far worse. All of these are just little things to keep in mind. Is that death odd that the building was underpopulated with employees? No, not particularly, although um, I've, you know, I've come across many stories of either just people by sheer dumb luck uh, not showing up to work that day. We've all read these stories, I'm sure. Uh, no, the reason that the death toll was as low as it was is simply because it was prior. It started prior to 9 o'clock a.m. when the observation deck was not open. So you had all these p tourists waiting at the bottom of the elevators, waiting to go up, and they fortunately never got to go up, so they lived. They were able to be evacuated. You know, that, that's, that's just one problem. The other thing is the original attack the, the, of 1993 that the person referred to. Um, right. In fact, there are weird things about that attack that I have since uh, come to read about. Uh, I don't profess to be an expert on that attack. Um, it does look like there were you know, Islamic elements involved in this. But it also looks like there are other possibilities or other aspects of it involved as well. Although, you know, I freely admit I'm not an expert on that, on that attack, or at least it's not all coming back to me. So, but all of that's irrelevant, okay? What we have to do is look at the evidence that we have available to us and look at the problems that we have available. And why is it so difficult to recognize that you would use Islamic terrorists as your perfectly convenient scapegoat? I mean, because the fact is that they're, they're a plausible scapegoat. You know, you can't just pull anyone out. You've got to use someone that's going to be believable. Yeah, you said earlier that there was an enabling factor, perhaps, if someone had motive to want to let this happen. Uh, Karen, in the virtual auditorium, mentioned Perhaps all our government needed to do was issue the stand-down order and let the rest happen. Do you believe that's a likely possibility? Yes, I think that would explain a lot of it, but I, I don't think it would explain all of it. I don't think it would explain how the, uh, the pilot was able to slam into the Pentagon with absolute precision. Uh, or, or, in fact, right. the other pilots uh, slamming into the Trade Center. I mean, yeah, they're a big structure, but think about this, all right? You're, you're going a fairly long distance. And if you've never flown a commercial airliner, to hit that target, that takes some good flying. All right. But nevertheless, yeah, the point is if you, if you create the stand down, 
All right, that's going to go a long way toward allowing this to happen. But the real question that we have to ask is, did these Islamic terrorists, these so-called Islamic terrorists, actually plan and execute this, this attack? And what we really have to say is that the evidence that they were involved in doing it, when you start looking for the evidence, is not necessarily that strong. I mean, where were they? They're, the only evidence that's direct, that links Arabs to it, is Flight 93, the one in Pennsylvania, where the cell phone calls did explicitly state that they were Arab men and they had taken over the plane. There's no evidence, none, um, regarding the other three aircraft. I mean, other than the fact, yeah, we found Mohammed Atta's passport in the rubble of the tracer. So... It's not as strong a case as you think, except for the fact that our government told us immediately that it's al-Qaeda. And then we're told that Osama bin Laden uh, has taken credit for it, even though... Now, you know, bin Laden made the news again. Does anyone remember the last time bin Laden made the news? It was in the days before the election of 2004. Days before the 04 election. Does nobody think that this is odd? Suspicious? Okay, you've got a tight election between two candidates, Bush and Kerry, and out of nowhere, Bin Laden comes, makes the news, and starts talking trash to the United States. Come on. <laughs> Is Bin Laden trying to get Bush elected president? Really? And now, you know, he's making, he's making this statement again, supposedly. Bin Laden was connected with CIA for years, all right? According to what we're supposed to believe, he became disgruntled when funding got cut off very possibly the case. The fact is that this man has a long history in the intelligence world, and nothing is as it seems necessarily. We're living in, in a way with mirrors. How is he connected with the CIA? The CIA funded him uh, for many years when he was in Afghanistan, fighting the Soviet regime. Okay, so, you know, remember your history. In 1978, at the end of 1978, the Soviet Union brought troops into Afghanistan to support a Soviet-backed regime that was having increasing problems with religious, uh, what were called the Mujahideen, who were fighting against them, okay? Islamic fundamentalists, basically, who were CIA-backed. And bin Laden, who was Saudi, member of a very powerful family, close with the Bushes, all members of the Carlisle Group, defense contractor, uh, bin Laden goes to Afghanistan, where he gets huge amounts of CIA money, where the CIA basically arms his group with rocket launchers and lots of other goodies, and they cause grief to the Soviet regime for years and years. When the Soviet Union collapsed and, you know, the Afghani war had ended, CIA cut off their funding. But, I mean, there was a lot of money that went from the CIA to bin Laden's group, a huge amount. But my point is simply, when you start dealing in that world, you have to be careful before, before you conclude that what you're getting on CNN is going to be the, the God's honest truth. And I, I don't think I should need to remind listeners that be very, very suspicious of anything you hear on CNN. Anything. You know, even if it's true, you've got to wonder about spin. But keep in mind also that the relationship between the CIA and mainstream media has been understood for a long time to be very, very close. 
that the CIA had paid journalists within mainstream news media for years and years and years. Hundreds of journalists. No one suspected this. The news all came out in the late 70s. And then the CIA said, well, we don't do that anymore. Well, okay, fine. You can okay. believe that if you wish. But there are relationships with the intelligence community in mainstream media. They are pervasive. And that doesn't mean that they control every single thing you get, but it does mean that if they need to control spin, or if they need to kill a story, or if they need to plant a false story, they can and will do it. During the first Gulf War with Saddam in 1991, there were all these stories about Iraqi uh, hospitals doing horrible things to children. These are fake stories. They were false stories. They were put out by some black op intelligence operation. These things happen all the time, and Americans buy it. So we have to be careful. Were you suggesting when he said earlier that his funding had been cut off? Uh, it's kind of a, a mixture of a question I'm asking. Was bin Laden mad at the U.S. and therefore attacked, or were you suggesting that there was a corroboration? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's a fair question, and I don't, I don't know that the true nature of bin Laden's relationship to CIA, except that they had a close relationship where he got a lot of money from them. So when the funding ended, ended did bin Laden then just develop a hatred for all things American? Well, maybe. Um, but maybe there's something else going on there. You know, I mean, Al-Qaeda as an operation, I mean, how big an operation was this? When they were wanted for the bombing of the Sudanese uh, embassy in 1998, some people may, this is when bin Laden's name really made the news internationally. Uh, what was Al-Qaeda at that time? In fact, Al-Qaeda was, the, the guys who did the bombing were hired hands of bin Laden, hired for a short-term period of time. There were no long-term members of this operation that he had. All right. The name Al-Qaeda didn't even become formalized until January of 2001 in a Manhattan courtroom. I'm not kidding here. When the U.S. Uh, prosecutors were, were trying to prosecute this organization for the bombing of, of Sudan. They had to come up with a name. There were many names that this organization used. One of them was Al-Qaeda. And then, so the name Al-Qaeda became the official name. It was, it was in the court case in uh, January of 2001. I mean, it's not like this organization was all that big and all that huge. They became big. I mean, one of the real winners of 9-11 was Al-Qaeda. Because as a result of 9-11, uh, a number of Muslim fanatics did, you know, join up and want to take place, you know, take part in the Holy War. I mean, there's a lot that we don't know. Again, I, I really want to emphasize that I don't have every single answer here. What I have are a lot of questions, like, like Griffin had. He's my, my model on this, I guess. Who's the I model? I don't, I don't feel a need to have every single answer. What I know is that there are very severe inconsistencies and a lot of suspicious facts. And so that's enough to make me strongly question and to suspect that there's something rotten in the city of Washington, D.C. Hmm. Well, yeah, actually speaking of D.C., we all know and remember that Congress allegedly did a full investigation on the whole 911 incident and they didn't really come up with anything newsworthy, you'd say, in the CNN way. 
but um, if you've looked into it, what would you say is missing or incomplete, or, or what's wrong about the entire 911 commission report? Oh, should have wow. yeah. this all been set to bed already? Well, then I, I have a copy of the 911 commission report. I would never have purchased that thing. I was able to download a copy. I don't think it's worth its weight in toilet paper. <laughs> That's true. Uh, the 911 commission uh, committee was run by people who are very close to the president. Uh, the one important Democrat on the committee was the guy who actually had covered up the um, the so-called October surprise uh, conspiracy from of 1980. And if you don't know what it is, look it up, Google it, go to Wikipedia, whatever. No, don't go to Wiki. Go just Google it. October surprise, and this was covered up. So, in other words, the one Democrat on the 9/11 committee. Um, was very, very friendly to, you know, covering important facts up as well. Yeah, he already has a track record of covering up exactly. something. Exactly. The, the, other, the other Republicans were very close to Condoleezza Rice. Uh, one of them was a especially close ally of hers. A number of people questioned, you know, the appropriateness of the, of the makeup of this committee. Uh, David Ray Griffin, in fact, wrote a monumentally important critique of the 9-11 committee uh, analysis, and I would encourage anyone to go to, to Amazon and look it up. But um, all the important questions were left off off the book, and really they ascribed 9-11 to a, uh, a cascade failure of communication in the intelligence community, but specifics were missing. I mean, and the real hard questions were just not there. Why did the Pentagon fail not once, not twice, not three times, but four times that morning? Why? Um, why was the steel not subjected to a, a standard kind of analysis, which would have indicated right off the bat whether the buildings were brought down in a demolition or not? So this you've seen those done. videos. You've seen the videos, probably Loose Change or others. Yeah. From what you've studied, do you believe the two World Trade Center buildings were a controlled demolition as well? I do, yes. I actually believe that they were brought down in a demolition. And, and uh, I, I don't believe that the jet fuel... Uh, every analysis that I've and I'm not an engineer, okay, so Understood. admittedly I'm out of my depth here, but I've, I've read the pros, I've read the cons. And, you know, when you look at the explosions that occurred at the towers, I mean, these are huge fireballs. They look impressive, but they're also indicative that a huge amount of jet fuel is being expended outside the building, not inside. Oh, yeah. On top of right. that, okay, after the impact, there are photographs of, of people standing in the in the area where the planes had hit, I mean they're standing there. So obviously the heat was totally bearable. It had to be regular temperature. Hmm. So if you're able to stand there, we're obviously not dealing with thousand degrees Fahrenheit. So how long were these incredibly hot temperatures? You know, you know, in the in the trade center. That that much. Um, when you look at the nature of the collapse, everyone in the world who saw those buildings come down, and there's no exception. If you're listening, you know it happened to you, too. When you saw that building come down, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, oh, my God, it's almost as if it were a controlled demolition. The newscasters, several mainstream news announcers said the same thing. It's like, oh, I've it heard looks- those quotes, actually. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> of course. And, and everyone also probably, I mean, we were horrified that they came down. But in after, afterward, we probably also thought, 
wow, it was almost lucky that they came down the way they did, because could you imagine what would have happened had they tipped over? I mean, the amount of destruction would have been unimaginable. So in other words, they came down actually very relatively safely, incredibly so. All three of those major classes. The other buildings, incidentally, Building 4, um, my dad for the last year of, of the existence of the Trade Center was actually at Building 4. He had been at the observation deck for years before that. Building 4 was crushed, totally crushed by the collapse of one of the buildings because they were much lower. So, But the three tall structures, I mean, they all came down, straight down. There were firefighters, these guys have been quoted a number of times, who were convinced that there were explosions going on in the in the large structures. I mean, these guys are on video. They're, I love them. They're New Yorkers. They're my people. And they're like, holy crap, man. Boom, 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 boom. All these explosions. Um, and they're like, yeah, 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 I heard it. Yeah, exactly. Again, the argument can be made, well, these are the explosions of one floor going on another. But it sounded like explosions of bombs to these guys. Constrained firefighters were, and police. Yeah. That and then, you know, the other problem is why did the... Uh, South Tower come down uh, prior to the North Tower. The, the North Tower was hit first. Why didn't it come down first? And, the, and it looked like a, a worse explosion. South Tower comes down, I mean, it was hit much later and came down much sooner. And a lot of people have commented on this. I mean, these are, you know, just many, many questions when you start adding them up. Sure. The problem with the 9-11 official explanation is it's not that there's one single alternative explanation that brings the house down, but it's the problem that, that there are so many questions that come up that do not have an answer. And when you start adding them up, it's not like, like Griffin put it this way, he said it's not like a chain that if you have one weak link, the whole chain comes apart. No. Okay? It's a cumulative effect where one argument adds to another, adds to another. And if one argument turns out to be a non-argument, like whether it was a plane or a missile that hit the Pentagon, you find, when you start looking at all the other evidence, that it's really not that big a deal anyway. Because there are too many other questions. Well, if you believe that it was a controlled demolition, or if the videos suggest that, I'm curious, what level of, of access and foreplanning does that suggest? I mean, who would have the ability to plant bombs in the highly secured World Trade Center to start with. Well, I, I suspect that a number of groups would have been able to. Uh, someone very, very... Think of it this way. Let's say, you know, you're in a special access program within the Department of Defense. Now, what's a special access program? A special access program is a quintessential black budget program where there's no congressional oversight. And no one knows how much money these programs get. In the year 2000, there were an estimate 150 special access programs within the DOD. So in other words, groups that have essentially an infinite amount of money to play with with no oversight. Okay. These groups can do a lot of different things, and we don't know what they do. So is it possible that one of them was able to gain access to pull this off? Sure, it's possible. I don't know that it's them, but now there's also possibilities that the executive office had people that were involved, and they certainly would have had the authority to make a lot of these things happen. Certainly could have been the president's office. I mean, I've been tiptoeing around direct complicity of George Bush for, for almost two hours now. Because mm -hmm. I'm trying to be careful. Because I don't really know. But obviously, 
it's entirely possible that he could have, his office could have been involved in doing it. Of course, it's possible. Okay, well, we're uh, near the show's end. I definitely thank you for coming on. I thank our listeners for participating in this program as well. At livefromroswell.com, there is a link to Richard Dolan's main site where you can uh, get on his mailing list, I believe, as well as buy his original book on UFOs and eagerly await his upcoming book that he said he took a year off of to study. But while we've got one minute left here, and I'll also remind listeners that next week we have Tom Horn returning uh, on, in a similar vein. Ask, he was asked the question, does he believe that there's a Stargate or a UFO technology in Iraq, and is that why we went in? But, Rich, if you've got just uh, 45 seconds to summarize, you said you do believe that it was an inside job. What are the two or three key questions or motivations that actually lead you to think that this was not what the media has reported? Uh, the stand-down, the apparent and obvious stand-down of NORAD that day, which has not had a good explanation. Mm-hmm. Um, the evidence of foreknowledge by certain individuals have come forward to talk about this. The, uh, the nature of the collapse at the World Trade Center, I think, is very problematic, and the nature of the attack on the Pentagon, only some of which we really dealt with here tonight. Uh, that aircraft, as I said, made a world-class maneuver to slam into the Pentagon. Not even the front, but the back end. Kind of a difficult area to hit, and it hit it anyway. It nailed it. These are problems of explanation. And uh, that makes me think that there's something suspicious. And then you've got the motive. And the motive is, I hate to say this, to create a police state. And there are lots of motivations that people would have for this. We tend to think of the president as our president. But when you have a world dominated by multinational corporations who have their say, who's this president really the president for? Well, maybe we should recognize that any president, Republican or Democrat, is very likely going to be the president for those powerful interests much more than for you or me. Wow. Countries are irrelevant. They don't exist anymore. We've got to wake up. I, I chatted for a long time with Catherine Austin Fitz, who was number two at HUD under George Bush Sr. She told me point blank that in 1990 it was an explicit corporate political decision to export the U.S. economy to China. That's a direct quote. You can't only do that if your country doesn't matter anymore. Okay? People have to understand that their government doesn't consider them the, the priority. The priority is working for international corporate masters who run the show. They've got to keep people happy so you give them the illusion that you know this is still the same old country we've had in, in the past, but it isn't. That country is gone. We have to wake more, up and then we've got to deal More with questions them. than answers. Sounds like I hear music playing. We're off the air and go into a commercial for the next program. Yeah, I can hear it right now. Wow. Good two hours, sir. I thought so. Yeah. I thought that went rather well. 